Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, and uh, I'm, I'm going to put my best radio voice on to start this. How about that, Aaron? So uh, I'm glad that everybody's here tonight. Uh, we're going to wait a few minutes to let people kind of start streaming in, but I'm going to go ahead and start by saying this is a thrill to be here tonight with uh, my guests, the Rom Trio. Of course, that's going to be Ronnie Rom, Avis Rom, and Aaron Rom. And uh, this is part of the Live With interview series. And this month, March 2021, is generously sponsored by Chop Saber, Gosling's Chop Saber. And here's a little spiel for Chop Saber. And Aaron, I swear, I, I was fine on this until I remembered that I've got a voiceover artist right here. So uh, I'm going to do my best. Chop Saber, <laughs> the natural, organic, herbal lip care product created by professional trumpet player Dan Gosling created especially for the unique care, uh, lip care needs of wind and brass musicians, and apparently pianists as well. Is that right, Avis? Absolutely. Uh, nothing soothes, heals, and protects sore, tired, chapped lips like Chop Saver. Uh, no tingle, not greasy, just makes your chops feel normal again, especially after a hard day of playing either trumpet or piano. <laughs> Chop Saber is used and endorsed by some of the greatest names in the business, including Wayne Bergeron, Tom Hooten, Michael Sachs, Sir James Galway, Jay Friedman, Aaron Rom, Ronnie oh. Rom, and Avis Rom. Chop Saber is even recommended by dermatologists for their patients with chronic lip problems, so you know it's safe and effective, and it's a product anyone can use, a musician or not. And for our HFL listeners, use the coupon code. I'm going to pop this up here. I don't know if I got room uh, left on the screen to pop this up here, but uh, just hold it. Up. Uh, no, it's uh, here. We go. Twenty percent, twenty percent off your next order at Chopsaver.com. Use the coupon code HFL. So there we go. Um, yeah, let's see. Looking ahead, uh, Thursday night, my radio show on WICR 88.7 FM, The Diamond, the University of Indianapolis radio station. This Thursday night is going to be featuring Wayne Bergeron, uh, not Tom Bergeron of funny video fame, but Wayne Bergeron, the trumpet player. And then the following week uh, is on the radio program is Ronnie Rom. So we might even talk a little bit about that uh, tonight. And just looking ahead to April, I've got some terrific guests lined up for April. Eric Miyashiro, uh, Mark Gould, and Gabriel DiMartino. And that couldn't be a more mixed bag uh, of trumpet players. <laughs> so, uh, And, of course, uh, April is going to be sponsored generously by Austin Custom, Austin Custom Brass. Thank you, Trent, for that. So uh, let's see. I think that's kind of taken care of business. Let me get rid of this code right here and get us back into some... There we go. That looks great. Okay, so Roms, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's again. It's a thrill to to have you guys here. I'm thinking about you know when we first met, and it was back at the beginning of 2017, mm. which you know is only four short years ago. But doesn't it feel like it, we've known each other a little bit longer than that? A lot Forever. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> and, and happily so. And happily so. I, I tell you, um, Ronnie, you're the first star I had ever reached out to. And I was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to that first time I ever tried to dial my girlfriend for a date. You remember the rotary phones? I do. Right. And you'd get, and you'd get to that seventh digit and you'd hesitate. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Or you dial it, and then you'd you'd click the receiver down, right? And just and and you'd hang up, and you then you'd try it again. So uh, I wasn't using a rotary phone when I called you, but uh, you know, I remember you were like, "Of course." It was just, oh my gosh, what a what a relief to you know to talk to somebody I had had admired and still admire. Right. But uh, right. my goodness, you were so friendly and still are. And what I've learned is, that's. You know, uh, that's kind of the whole Rom family. Just who'd a bunch thought? of really nice people. <laughs> who'd have thought? So, who'd have thought that? Who'd have thought? And really talented. But you know, okay. So just for perspective, uh, 2017 was the University of Indianapolis's first trumpet conference. You guys were the guests, and what a hit! Uh, what a hit that was. Um, and of course, who knew four years later we were going to be dealing with. What we're all dealing with right now, right? Life, life certainly got interrupted. So maybe that's a good place to start. In this um, slowly reemerging uh, landscape, uh, kind of give us an idea of what's been going on the last the last year. There's been some evolutions on on your end, creations and evolutions. Right, and and Aaron has been the the at the forefront of, of the, the new ROM academies. And uh, he's uh, started out with the launch of the Ronnie ROM Fundamentals Mania, which is, <laughs> which is an eight week course on fundamentals and we do it together. And it's really a blast. It's really a lot of fun, the mentals. Fundamentals. Uh, so is this any particular routine based or is this, does it change up on a, on a daily basis? It's a specific set of routines that Aaron and I devised together. We, you know, we were just brainstorming and thinking, well, what, what is it that makes the best players, the best players? And we realized, you know, that the best players do have the best fundamentals and and the, the, the weakest players have the weakest fundamentals. And the most consistent, wonderful performers have the best fundamentals. And that's what they practice the most. That's what they, whenever they get time off, they're on the road touring and, you know, in the old days, they were on the road touring and, and they would get time off. And what did they do? They would launch into their fundamentals, slow scales, slow note bends for trumpet players, just some, some uh, arpeggios and scales and things like that. Um, but Ronnie, uh, fun uh, routines are boring, right? I mean, it, it, no, the, the, right. I mean, that was my perspective, certainly for a long time. And, you know, it's with some of my students. So wh what do you suggest uh, when you do this? Do you, or what not even suggest, how do you make it engaging? How do you make it, uh, if it can be fun? Well, let me go sideways for that for, for just a second, and then I'll get into your into an answer to your question. Okay. We, we had a, 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 a multi-millionaire friend. We still have a multi-millionaire friend in multi-level marketing. And he said, if you are bored, you are boring. <laughs> and, 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 you know, if you think about it, the routine is not, is not boring. It's, it's the approach that the student takes to the routine that makes it boring. If we find the beauty in every single sonic bliss moment that we can create, 
then no matter what we play, it becomes interesting and it becomes not boring. And that it, 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 it inspires us to go forward and move forward and, and do better. And then we relate all this with the tunes that we're playing. And Aaron and I made up some tunes and duets that we can play together and, and, and stuff like that. Uh Ronnie and, and Aaron both, I mean, when was your aha moment with that, right? I mean, you, you know, you, you do scales and fundamentals as a matter of, it was a sign to me, I need to do this. But when did each of you realize that, oh, this can be fun, uh, it is making a difference? Aaron, go ahead. You, you know, I, I think um, with with all of that, we, like you said, we, we all have that aha moment. I think for me, it actually happened when I first first started teaching. Right, especially in group settings, <laughs> and and so with with this idea in in mind of uh, of changing the way that we look at fundamentals and the learning to listen differently. That's kind of the the uh, the difference of this course versus you know a, a lot of others. And not to say that there's no merit to to others. Um, everything kind of builds, right? And the idea being that if we want to change something, we want it to not be boring. We have to figure out how to do it and what do the greats do that we're not, right? So what does Ronnie Rahm do in his fundamentals that I don't? Like, oh, okay, he's, he's always, keep in, in a way, we don't want to use the term multitasking, but uh, imagining different uh, accompaniments, you know, for example, you know, mm -hmm. during our long tone. So it's not just going, or it's, oh, and then there's another a whole band or orchestra going on behind you. So, right. you know, think that we're losing our minds or just having fun. Right? Or both. But, yeah. Or both. We're, and, and, and so that's, that's the idea. And in a way, they might be simple routines, but they're actually, when you, when you approach them that way, an area of the brain that we're really not used to using by ourselves, right, of, of that. Usually we rely on the rest of the band, right? And that's fine. That's, that's, that's important. Um, but having to recreate that in our head while we're while we're playing and singing and and you know, making every every note as beautiful as possible and holding ourselves to that standard, that's the real challenge. I think I personally of of having gone through the course several times and in, in, in building it, of of saying you know like I you know this this also takes a lot of mental endurance too, which is applicable to everything that we do as performers. So well, that's that's where a lot of that came from. Well, but you also had it modeled for you. Right. I mean, you're growing up in a house, not just from your dad, but from your mom as well. I mean, you're having this model for you. But oh, and sure. Avis, I've got a big question coming for you in just a second. But Ronnie, what about you? Where, Who was the model for you or who when did your aha moment? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I going way, way back, uh, I, I studied my my very first teacher was my mother, who was a clarinetist. And she used to sit in the in the in the front room, and I used to practice in the back room. And uh, she she used to say to me, you know, I, I'd be practicing, and all of a sudden I'd stop, you know, for a little bit of a rest, and I'd hear from the front room, "Was that beautiful enough? It wasn't beautiful enough? You can do it more beautifully." So. I was constantly inspired to to create beautiful sounds on the trumpet, and we all we all know how easy it is to make ugly sounds on the trumpet. I mean, it's it one as as trumpet players, we know we've heard some of the most ugliest ugliest sounds on the planet, and and 
And we don't want to do that. And so focusing on the beauty of every sound that we make was an inspiration for me. And I was a kid in those days. And then, of course, I studied with, with Eddie Ehlert, who was, uh, was, was the, actually, I studied with Al Ruby, who was the lead player with Rudy Valley's band. And he had this shimmery sound and he had me do Arban and scales and things like that. And he used to play them for me and he had this shimmering zingy sound and I loved that sound. I really did. <laughs> and then and then I studied with Eddie Ehlert, who was the, he was lead play, he was the principal player uh, uh, with the Walter Lance Studios. So you remember- um, Woody Woodpecker. Woody Pecker, Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> <laughs> was Eddie Ehlert. Oh, no kidding. And I studied <laughs> with him. And then I studied with Lester Remsen, who had been a solo cornetist in the Marine Band in Washington. And and then he became the principal trumpet player in, in, the, in the... I'm getting to the answer, believe me. And <laughs> This is worth a journey. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It is. <laughs> but see, I'm trying not to be boring. <laughs> so You're the furthest thing from it. Well, so so then he was the principal uh, trumpeter in, in the Buffalo Philharmonic, and then he became principal trumpeter in the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and then he became a music director, and he always instilled the the fundamentals to all of us then scales in the charlier book and 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 how we would relate the scales to these beautiful uh, french named belgian trumpeter who was a specialist in writing these wonderful melodies mr charlier uh, who played principal trumpet in uh, la monet which was uh, the the uh, the opera orchestra of uh, of of uh, uh, brussels and and uh, actually, uh, uh, a friend of all of ours, Manu Malertz, is now the principal trumpet player in La Monet. And so, and in Charlie, and all anyway. And then I studied with Bill Vacchiano, and everything was fundamentals, transposition, mm -hmm. so it was a very long, um, a, a very long aha moment. I mean, really, a, a continuing aha moment. But what, what I left out was Jimmy Stamp. I, oh. I spent two and a half years in Jimmy Stamp studio doing. Scales. You know, and 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 do you know all that kind of stuff. And and it always had to be beautiful. And when you did something beautifully, Jimmy Stamp, you know, we he would say, Ah, wasn't that beautiful? And and my lessons with Jimmy Stamp were were such that I would go smashing through stuff because I you know it's it's probably going to be on on the radio show that you're doing that this part of what what I I was always waiting I would smash through stuff and then I'd finally get something right and he would he would, and he'd be very patient and he'd finally say to me ah oh, isn't that beautiful and and I can't tell you I I dreamed about going to my lessons and having him say that to me. It was just wow. Funny. And it was all fundamentals based. And that was kind of all and everything was an aha moment leading up to this course, which is a series of aha moments for all of us. Well, it, you just demonstrated something, though. It's not only that you play beautifully, but you also are able to sing 
beautifully. And it's something I have such a hard time convincing my students, right? If you really want to know if you've got it, you should be able to sing it. And, well, and I, I, I've started to pivot even in, in this past week thinking, I'm going to assign things not to be played next week, but they need to learn to sing it by next week. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I'm setting myself for, up for some real disappointment. <laughs> disappointment well, but well, I'm, I tell them you don't have to be right. great singers but you have to you have to demonstrate some uh, ability some show me something that you actually get how that line is supposed to to sure. supposed to go sure I had an interesting discussion with uh, I'm, I'm, I'm capitalizing on all this I it's forgive, great forgive me family I'm sorry I'm just uh, <laughs> they know me already they know I do this <laughs> We had a really interesting, interesting discussion with Vince Penzarella, who's who's based down here in Florida. And Vince, Vince was of the school. The first two years of music lessons, you do not play an instrument. You only sing in solfege. You only sing. Only for two years. And then you can pick up an <clears throat> My heart just stopped. And it's when you said solfege. That's... <laughs> Yeah, you know, in the wrong key. Yeah. <laughs> now that's movable, though. Okay, yes. right, right, of course. So, Avis, um, yes, to speak. Well, I'm just curious. You know, do you ever get bored of brass talk? I mean, you know, and do you ever think that? Oh my gosh, this is the most neurotic group of musicians ever, or. Well, I'll, I'll let you answer that. I shouldn't say that I'm bored. I do learn a lot. <laughs> I probably am one of the most educated non-brass players around in in brass talk. But then when I have probably had enough, I just kind of tune it out. <laughs> I, I admit that. Just like the rest of us, right? <laughs> Okay, so let's let's put some perspective on this. You are not just uh, a casual bystander musician. You are an exceptional musician yourself. In fact, a Steinway artist. Is that correct? That's correct. Thank you. So, I mean, you are you're kind of the the creme de la creme of the uh, of the the people who do this, right? <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I don't know what you call that. You know. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, you have perspective. OK, so let's talk about fundamentals. <laughs> Do you have the same approach? Uh, or, I mean, yeah. I don't know if Hannon exercises. <laughs> That's a very, it's a very interesting question, because I think most pianists, we all grew up doing Hannon exercises. And there's a myriad of other exercises out there. Um, Chopin etudes, you know, you kind of grow up into doing those as well. Um, it's been very interesting this year of COVID when we haven't been on the road. And so I haven't been playing as many concerts or just needing to keep myself in shape or ready to do new material. I have felt the desire to go back to doing mm. fundamentals, which I find rather interesting at this point, um, because fundamentals were not my favorite thing to do, as most of them are, um, possibly because I was not 
taught to play them as beautifully mm. as Ronnie had the advantage of having his teachers demand that in the ex the exercises were in my education to build great dexterity and fluidity and pianists are so fortunate to have so much literature to work on that you can have an exercise book on every phrase in every book. Mm -hmm. uh, I have, during my career, I have made exercises out of the phrases that are difficult in the literature I'm playing, rather than going back to particular fundamentals books, I create my own exercise out of that 16 note lengthy phrase to play and do that in every key or whatever is necessary with that particular phrase. So mm -hmm. I, the more I age, the more I am a firm believer in fundamentals one way or another. I do try and get my students to create their own fundamental exercises as well. And we create those in our lessons. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love the idea of creating uh, the the means to an end, right? It's not just like us going back to Arben just to go back to Arben or Irons or, or whatever, just to do it. It's like we could have something that's uh, Irons-based, right? Oh, the flexibility in this piece, I'm going to do it. Right. So I, I think that's brilliant. Um, but to me, it also means you're approaching things from a much more musical context right away. Well, perhaps that's out of necessity because there is so much piano literature or mm -hmm. there is so much collaborative literature that uses different phrases that I have to become fluid more rapidly. I love the term collaborative, and uh, I remember vividly my interview with Sergei, and uh, of course Maria Mirovich, his collaborative, they are a chamber music duo. She is not his accompanist, and that was a an aha moment for me. It was like, oh yeah, it's like you're not just there to make sure I don't fall apart in the Hindemith. <laughs> or to make sure that I, right? I, I don't know why I picked well, that piece. Partly, but, I <laughs> well, yeah, okay, so may, maybe so. But, you know, to, to really view uh, what you guys do as a duo and a trio, and even, uh, I don't know if there's anything beyond the, the three of you, but it's a collaboration. This is not, I'm just going to accompany you and help keep time and find you when you get lost and, you know, and vamp until you can, <laughs> right? I don't think any of us, would want to be doing that. Mm -hmm. I um, There are certain pieces of music that we work on that require more of a, um, a boom chuck accompaniment that might not be to save the musical line, but the musical integrity of it still requires yep. positive musical collaboration, no matter what well, you but even if it's a boom chuck, it has to be in the right style. Exactly. Right? You exactly. can't just be ham-handed like I would be uh, playing that sort of thing. You know, and I remember uh, talking about Vivid Memory, the, the performance that you put on here at UND. And uh, I loved that you were actually featured. 
it wasn't just trumpet, 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 and piano. It was, uh, and, and I don't recall the piece, unfortunately, but it was like, let's take a breath. Let's get the trumpet off out of the way for a minute and, you know, enjoy your playing. And I love that, uh, you know, that those levels in a performance like that, because, well, first of all, it actually showcased, you know, a really fine musician. Um, so I, I love that. I appreciate that. And if if I ever do recitals again, you know, I'd, I would try to wrap that sort of thing in uh, into what I do. Um, Rom, Rom Trio. Rom Trio. Right? What? Uh, okay, so that's three people. The three that I'm looking at right now. What? Um, where did that start? When did that start? And it's still going, right? It is I'm, still going, absolutely. I think it was when Aaron was born. <laughs> really? <laughs> the trio. Well, of course. <laughs> okay. Immediately had my C scale ready to go and everything. That's amazing. We're he's, good to go with, you know. He's saying, he's saying the snot out of the C scale when he was a little one. <laughs> you know, um, Larry, our first, uh, I would say, official performance as the trio, I think it was back in 2006, um, to, 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 my, to my memory. Um, and this was on in, at the uh, Blair School of Music at Vanderbilt University, and um, that was uh, uh, we we still play that that particular chart. That's the uh, the ritual fire dance. Oh yeah, yeah. And and from from there, um, you know, we, we we said like, hey, this this can be a thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's take this on the road. Um, very different than that, but. <laughs> Yeah, long story short, that's what happened. But uh, we started talking about different different repertoire, and and you know we started putting things together. My my first big project, I, I shouldn't have started with this one, but I did anyway. And was you know I found out that Takata and Fugue in D minor, um, the Takata and Fugue was a three voice fugue. I said, wait a second, there are three of us. We can do this. And that's when I haven't ever transcribed or arranged anything before. That's a terrible place to start because it's a it's a it's a monster project, and uh, so so you know so anyway we we developed this uh, a, a pretty good collection of of a really lovely repertoire that uh, is not really played uh, in this in this format anywhere else. You know, and that's interesting too because you know Avis, you mentioned the the depth of repertoire available for the piano mm -hmm. but you know uh there's we of course trumpet players we don't have that and uh, this is another thing i'm sorry to mention sergey again but you know i i am rather fond of him but the guy. fact that the fact that you reach outside of the trumpet repertoire there's so much great music and the fact that you're playing it on trumpet so what right i mean you're still you're getting to play and share really spectacular music you know, and who would ever imagine doing the, the Takata and Fugue? I mean, I, <laughs> I I get nervous even thinking about it. You know, I mean, hard enough to for the, the Canadian brass to pull off with five players, right? But uh, which I think was was pretty successful. Um, but you know, I love that that challenge because I think it shows uh, to all musicians that there, there's there's no limit, right? It's only what you put in front of yourself or, or don't put in front of yourself to play. 
Absolutely. And of course, I, we've always had these dreams. Avis and I had dreams of, of, of family organization. And I grew up with a family band. My, my parents and my sister and I had a, a family band when I was very young. It was called the Rom Antics, Rom hyphen Antics. And we were a dance band, basically. But we did live radio, live television, things like that. So that was kind of in the back of my mind. So when the opportunity arose for us to go ahead and do this, uh, it was very um, poignant to uh, to actually mm -hmm. create something together to do. Well, and, and not just the musical aspect of it, right? I mean, the the theatrical uh, part of it is well. I, I can't imagine you not doing it. And especially people who had watched you with Canadian Brass, I don't think could uh, could see you standing on stage rather stoically, not engaging. Yeah, I tried with anyone. I tr <laughs> believe me, I tried. I, I don't. I don't think you did. Well, maybe maybe you did. <laughs> maybe you did. I, well, see, but it just seems to come so naturally uh, for all of you, right? This this presence uh, on stage, and I love that the fourth wall gets. Well, it, it doesn't even get built. It never gets built. It's it's down from the beginning, right? And I think that's one reason that you that is so successful, right? Is you're you communicate. You're right there, looking me in the eye. And, and maybe I'm an extrovert, so I don't get nervous. But maybe <laughs> there are people in the audience that do stop looking at me. Stop looking at me, Aaron. Don't look at me anymore. But uh, you know, okay. So let's talk to that about that for just a second about the fourth wall and and what it means to take that down for you guys. Well, my, my answer would be obvious. You should probably get it from one of the other two. Um, for, for me, the, the fourth wall um, has never existed. The idea was that we are one entity. We are all from the same energy and we need to exchange that energy. And if we do not do that, we're, we're blocking uh, you know, when you when you study stage behavior, you have the open and then you have the block. Okay, so if you see someone talking like this, you know that you're you're not going to make very good headway with them, right? And, and uh, so, you couldn't tell, but I was sitting that way a minute ago. But uh, it was only <laughs> only because I had nowhere to nowhere to put my arms. Yeah, you know, I, I I try and do that, and I get this. You know. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted. No, it wasn't. Anyway, the, the idea of changing the energy and having that energy coming from, you know, the ether and, and having the music inspire us to share that energy, to share that musical energy and that, that visual and audible energy is, is there is no fourth wall. I mean, you cannot have it. Otherwise, you're just, you, you, you wouldn't how should i say it you need you need an audience to have a concert without an audience you can have a rehearsal you can have a recording project you can have a video project but you cannot have a concert without an audience and so to sell that short by creating or putting up or hiding behind the fourth wall <clears throat> is not only silly but it's detrimental to life and nature mm. there that's that's that i spit it out but i think we probably get better answers from these two well uh, avis I'm, I'm curious you know in your concertizing outside of the trio right i mean you you've uh, recitals yes yes uh uh performing with orchestras um i i think going back to even the group 
so many of the artists during this past COVID year have been talking about how they miss playing. And it's not just going out and playing. It's because of the energy that we all draw from the audience. That's part of what we're missing in, in this year of not being able to share it. Now, I find working collaboratively with anyone, it's even easier to break down the fourth wall because you're already sharing mm. with whomever you're working with on stage or whomever is supporting you while you're doing your solo spot. You know that they're there for you. No one is trying to criticize or hopefully not. If you're creating a great ensemble that gives out the love in the music, then you're creating that love on the stage with each other as well. So I'd, it can be very challenging for a personality who's very shy to let that happen. But once you let yourself get into the music only, there is nothing else but the love of that music. And that's what goes out and mm -hmm. hopefully comes back. I mean, my lips dry. Yeah, you know what? This is a great uh, a great point to talk about. You know, I'm, I'm feeling rather, um, I need to take care of some business here. Excuse me, while I put my chop saver My, that is refreshing, isn't that? Oh, I'm young again. Bye-bye, <laughs> <laughs> chapped lips. Oh, my gosh. its mm. I've forgotten what the what chapped lips feel like. That's just, it's magical. They're all tingly. Mm. And, okay, so, you know, uh, Dan's probably like, I'm so regretting sponsoring this. <laughs> uh, but, oh. you know, uh, well. We will not do any product but, placement here. Yeah, but I tell you what, this, uh, it is a great product. It and uh, I, I think I go through more of it during the winter months. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it, it's, it's good stuff. And I tell you, uh, Dan Gosling, there's not a better guy out there. You know, it's, it's great that uh, he was, he was one of my teachers during my master's degree. Fantastic. So I know, and we've played together a, a good bit. Dan is a beast of a musician uh, who happens to play trumpet and uh, you know, has created this terrific product. So, yeah, and, and he was—he's a graduate of the University of Illinois. I didn't know that. And uh, he came. I had him over to the university to do a, a full day of lectures, and we worked. We did did a lecture for the School of Music and uh, on an entrepreneurial uh, endeavor. And he also talked with the business school, and it was a well, fascinating day. He and I have have connected quite a bit on the entrepreneurial. Uh, front these last couple of years as I've been trying to to do things. And uh, I think he's he's pretty smart, pretty savvy on that, that side of things, Absolutely. too. Hi, Dan. <laughs> so, um, Aaron, uh, the fourth wall probably never existed for you, did it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I guess not. I, I um, What you mentioned before about, you know, the modeling fundamentals and, and, and all that, um, you know, growing up, um, the mom and dad never made a big deal about what it was that they did. 
right for for their for their occupation and it was just always around you know so uh, it was it was never a never a, a big deal you know in 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 our household of of you know you know worship your father be respectful of course <laughs> but you know the his dad first and so growing up watching watching the canadian brass and and uh, and and dad being dad on stage um it it showed a, a few things which were pretty impactful in a very positive way like you know whenever it is that you're doing that you were sharing was one of the words that they used earlier and it's and even if it's a, a me 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 thing it's still also us we're all in this in this, in this together even if it's a solo mm -hmm. um and and so that's that's one thing in in my uh education and and and, and you know moving forward with with a career and, and ending up doing a lot of solo work and even then it's always been about us right so you know whether it's you know on the stage or with you with the audience and that's that's a really important thing especially right now <laughs> i feel like this this mm -hmm. idea of sharing and and having the courage to be open about stuff right and i'm talking really musically but also just in in, in general right um there's a there's a time when when we seem to be um so scared and self-protective and that makes your music suffer i think and so when when you when you open up and and, and invite um in this case an audience to 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 share just a couple minutes of of sounds with you um that's a that's a pretty beautiful thing and and you know i i went to my first um concert uh, a couple weeks ago um and before before COVID, I was busy enough playing that I didn't have really time to go to a lot of concerts. And I was very fortunate that way. Mm -hmm. But my, my wife was a, a, a concert mastering for a, a little orchestra down here. And um, and I, I, I went out and, and heard it. And it was such a strange experience <laughs> sitting in the audience and hearing actual vibrations and all that. And I don't mean, mean that metaphysically. I mean that <laughs> vibrations of sound, right? Um, and it was a, it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, and I think everybody felt that way. And, um, um, again, like w words are kind of failing me right now. And, and I, I speak for, I think all of us, of us musicians, uh, when I say we're looking forward to <laughs> doing more of that and, and that I, expression, you know, just saying whatever it is that we got to say. <laughs> so. Well, you know, and even in rehearsal, I, uh, I've got a streaming recital coming up uh, next week. Great. Uh, uh, next Tuesday night, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's just a little brass quintet. Not just, it's brass quintet. Uh, but even last week at our first rehearsal, even sharing with four other people, right? I mean, you know, they're not necessarily an audience, but just that collaborative part that yeah you're right Avis that's yeah. I think what most of us miss is that sitting next to you know your colleagues in an orchestra yucking it up with the trombone players making fun of the viola players you know <laughs> uh, ignoring the conductor as much as possible and it's just and you know I love all my music directors uh, not equally but I love them all and again I, I hope they're they're none of them are watching this uh, they're too, they've got their heads buried in their scores for next season so um, boy, I, I, there's there's some real issues coming out here, aren't there? I mean, I I've got some. I hope so. This is gone, Larry. It's really so, good, Larry. You're doing so, great. Oh my gosh, this is. Uh, we're not live, are we? Oh my gosh. So, uh, 
you know, um, uh, and I sidetracked myself. Oh, you know, Aaron, what you're talking about too, there's a level, a level of vulnerability that's been shown this past year, not just by trumpet players, you know, that's who I see in my Instagram and Facebook feed, but I think every musician who's, who's yearned for that, right, has risked making themselves vulnerable, right. you know, even with it, you know, like you say, for a couple of minutes or whether it's a full performance. And I'll admit, I haven't done that yet. I mean, this is as, as close as I'm, get, I'm getting to, to I, won't, I won't put myself out there playing my trumpet yet. Just... <laughs> Maybe at some point, but, but there's you, enough great stuff out there that nobody needs to have me playing out there oh, right now. Larry, to be so, to be fair, Larry, what what you do is is such a, an, an important part of, <laughs> and and I think not very well understood um, by a lot of a lot of people mm -hmm. going forward with online presence and the ability to as as you're doing right now communicate not only coherently. You're doing a much better job than I am with that. Um, Communicating coherently, but but also honestly and, and in a way that is engaging. Um, that's you know it's, it's it's very easy to make fun of someone like Conan O'Brien on national television, right? The guys, you know, I, I I love a show, but you know um, when we're not the ones on the other side of the camera without any feedback, basically, right? Mm. So this that type of communication, I think we've all gotten a little bit of a taste of that of preparing stuff to put on Instagram or Facebook and all that. And without that that energy, something feels missing, and it, and, it, and it's hard. So know that I'm I'm going to speak for mom and dad here, but I we we very much respect everything that you do and and the abilities that you put together wow. in your projects. So well done, thank Larry. you, yeah. thank you, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I I that means a great deal. I wish I could just show you how much that meant, and of course that would include a hug. But we Air can't hug. hug each other. Right Air now. hug. Air so you know what's what's kind of exciting and a little terrifying at the same time is to see how many podcasts have come up <laughs> during the, the pandemic. And I'm thinking, okay, I was here before all this started, you know. But I love it, and I, I love the the amount of exposure people are getting to musicians that may have not happened before. You know, and uh, and I can't worry about what other podcasts do, right? I'm just trying to to have fun and you know have great conversations, get some information out there. Um, and you notice we haven't talked about mouthpieces yet. It would be like it would well, be that's, like that's why they're uh, Avis, here. We don't Avis, what's your favorite brand of string to put on your pianos? I mean, that's the you know, it's like what 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 do piano players say? You know, uh, we don't what, talk about the strings. <laughs> we might <laughs> we might talk about the action oh uh, or the the type of sound that particular instrument creates uh -huh. but we and more often than not it's about the action whether it's stiff or really an easy fast action so you guys have things you can geek out in conversation right i mean you have things oh, sure. you can talk about yeah one of the interesting thing about pianist though is we end up spending so much time alone in the practice room that we're used to being alone <laughs> so I, I saw a um a cartoon early on in in covid about someone who was saying you know this has been really um an interesting learning experience for me with covid 
I realized that I'm not having any different kind of a life than I did before. And it was stood <laughs> <laughs> for when you're used to practicing in a practice room, unless you're yeah. a collaborative musician, you spend hours and hours a day alone. So you're not gigging out and saying what kind of action, unless you need to know what the instrument in that hall is like, or what did you think, right. or how did you deal with it? Um, yeah, uh, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned. Uh, Chopin, uh, William, my fourteen-year-old is is and is he's going into his third year of, of lessons, and he's playing some Chopin. I think a mazurka, or I, I can't remember. Well, uh, but very well, if he's only in his third year. Then... Oh my gosh, he watches uh, YouTube videos. He's a uh, Daniel Barenboim. Uh, we love his uh, his uh, Beethoven. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's thrilling. Uh, Valentina Lisitsa, uh, there's, and William's got a whole bunch of people. He'll just sit and listen. He loves the, uh, I, I can't remember all, List. In fact, List is his favorite. List, List was born in 1811. He'll, t you know, we'll go for a walk and they'll say List. And he's like giving me history of, you know, so he's just, he's. That's wonderful. Absorbing this. Um, and I told him you were a, a Steinway artist and he's like, really? You know, so um, yeah, I, w I may have to uh, see if he would if he has any questions for you at some point. But I'm just thrilled, but uh, that he's you know he's grown up around me and Jenny, right? It's not like we've pushed him to do anything. It's just we've provided a great atmosphere. And Jack, you know, our 11 year old violinist, same thing. Um, but it's it's what he's absorbing, it, and so he knows what the piano's supposed to sound like. You know, so he sits down and, and and tries to replicate what he hears. That is so fantastic. I am thrilled to hear it. And congratulations. Oh, thanks. You also for creating an atmosphere that he could thrive like that. That's wonderful. This, I tell you, this is a great segue into Suzuki. Not that we're going there, but I, I totally uh, have been consumed totally with Suzuki and the philosophy and understanding that it's it is that atmosphere right from the moment of birth you know surround them with love and and nurture them and just if you want to be a musician or a great mathematician or whatever provide that atmosphere and yeah Ronnie you're nodding your head I, I think you agree with that I, I'm 100% Mississippi hot dog and <laughs> Ice cream, good ice cream, good, right, right. So whatever, whatever pattern you want to throw on there. But uh, yeah, um, and and we can talk about Suzuki later. But uh, so uh, I, I do want to ask a little bit about uh, the Rom Trumpet Academy. I know we're kind, I'm kind of no, doing quick left turns, but uh, tell this is something that's come about through the pandemic as well. The the RTA. The RTA. Um, RTA. We 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 launched it in in the in the middle of the pandemic, um, seeing seeing the need for you know practice materials and all that. But the, we're actually developing this course over the last two years or so. Um, of uh, you know we <laughs> it's gone through many iterations of of how to how to structure it. And of course, in the the next few uh, courses um, are are in development from that from what we. Put together and, and what we didn't get a chance to include in the first first course, um, but yeah, you know it, the the idea being that that hearing it from Ronnie, um, and when you know it's tried and true, these are the uh, if not the same but very 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 similar uh, 
routines to what he uses um, and the philosophy behind them. Um, of, uh, for example, everything's a long tone, right? Uh, when you when you think of things like that, it kind of changes the way you approach line, right? Um, and and just as as a little geeky example there, but you know, if you that's the the idea of you know how Ronnie approaches it, and it's not about saying we're going to make you the next best great greatest lead player. That's that's great if you do, right? Um, and and that's a really thrilling thing for for trumpeters. But but I think the idea of being like, well, what is it that that uh, you know Ronnie is especially um, sorry, Dad, <laughs> Dad, what have you contributed to the music world a lot, right? And, and that sound and that and that uh, the overall musical ideas uh, and how to approach fundamentals with those ideas. I think that's that's the goal with every course that we're going to be. So it, and to answer your question even more <laughs> directly, uh, Larry, it's a set of video courses um, with accompanying routines and master classes uh, over an eight week time span for this particular course. And we'll have courses coming out that are that are um, different time frames or no time frame at all. Uh, do it at your own pace and um, and your own leisure and your own caution. So this isn't necessarily the tie-in with the, the fundamentals that you guys are, were talking about at the top of this, right? This is... That's exactly what it is. Oh, it's exactly what it is. You're just doing it live. You're not doing it in video. No, this, video this is all... the Everything's video courses, yes. Oh, uh, yes. okay. I guess, right. sorry, in my mind, I'm thinking video, it's like you're recording it and you're putting it out there, you know, to, yes. uh, for sale, that sort of thing. Yes. So, so it's, so that it that's, is. That, oh, it's that, all that's of what above. it is. And then, and then along with that, there is a community that, the, uh, of, of those who decide to be a part of it and, you know, sharing those ideas and, and, uh, you know, keeping up with, with one another of, of practice routines. What are we finding? What are we, um, the challenges that we're, we're finding with this particular routine and, and, and all that. So it's, it's a, a chance to build another, another community with that idea. Avis, are you involved with that? Well, I just want to, this goes back a little to, do I get bored with things with the, with the trumpet? But having been an observer as this entire project came to fruition, I have to really congratulate both Aaron and Ronnie because this being a video course, it, it is encompassing the energy that both Aaron and Ronnie project when you're talking to them live, like now, it's not a, this is the way you do it. Their personalities come so beautifully into the project that you can't help but be in, inspired to go with it. It's not just the instrument or the fundamental. It's it's their, not persuasion, it's their... That's our personality. We we show our personality. Yeah. We're not we're not shy about that, uh, and but we are we are relentless about the pursuit of of uh, excellence, and uh, but but the point is that excellence takes whatever time it takes to attain. We are already perfect, so if we're seeking excellence, we're on the right page. So I'm not bored. <laughs> well, I I can sense that. I mean, your enthusiasm even comes through right then and there. So uh, uh, hang on, there are two things I want to hit before I forget them. Okay. Aaron, you said uh, everything is a long tone. And I've been thinking uh, for the last few years, it's like I tell myself and my students, everything's a flow study. Mm. 
right? right? I mean, it's it's the it's the same thing. same same idea. And right. and you know, so then you turn to to uh, Brant number six, and you're like, how in the world is that a flow study, or how's that a long tone? <laughs> right, all the angularity in that. But if you approach it the right way, it is. Yeah, you can you make right? it so, and all of a sudden, it, it it seems to make sense musically that way too. Right. Um. So yeah, and 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 that's that's one of those things. Like for example, the 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 what what we all play of the stamp studies, right? All those, um, you know, it, it, there's, I don't think there's anything that's really like out there that's magical, right? That's going to fix everything. You could play anything with that same idea of flow, of line, of direction, of, in my case, I like the long tone of, of making it everything a long tone, just because um, I, I like the merging of musicality and mechanics like that. Maybe I'm just a Transformers it, geek, I don't know, but you know that's that's partly where I'm where I'm coming from with it, and and just approaching it with that idea. Is it the opening? Is it Rienzi or Oberon that starts with the really Rienzi, soft yeah. Rienzi? Yeah. So so you know if if you ever want to prove to somebody that you need to practice this kind of playing, right? I mean, it, it's right there. It's right there. So, um, Ronnie, uh, I've been reading uh, Mark Gould's new book, which I think is just is terrific. I don't uh, the book yet. I haven't gotten it yet. I Gould on music. Well, you're in it. Yeah. Well, I, and and, and uh, something I read just yesterday was uh, Mark was talking about brilliance, or no, he was talking about don't uh, distinguish between dark and bright. He said, "My friend Ronnie Rom just says, you, you know, focus on brilliance." And boy, that was. Well, well written. In fact, it's probably better written than what I just uh, paraphrased, reiterated. But um, I'll have to thank him for that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, when I when I read that, I started thinking back to everything I've heard you play over the over the many years, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. You know, regardless of of what the the piece was, there's brilliance in the soft lyrical, and there's brilliance in the fast technical. You know, it's. Uh, there's a shimmer. It's like Doc's playing, right? There's an uh, there's an electricity, no matter what he's playing. Absolutely, with Doc, he's he, yeah. Doc is a stunner that way. I will always yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're you're welcome. No, thank you. And you know this. <laughs> um, I, tell me, uh, how do you get students? And this goes for you too, Avis. How do you get students to listen, not just to you? but to great musicians. Sorry, how what were you saying? <laughs> uh, uh, Aaron, I'm about to lose you. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, no. To me, we've such the opportunity, right? I mean, we don't even have to go to the listening library and check out an LP and rent dirty headphones and you know all that. Yeah. We have so much at our fingertips. You know, it's it's really true. When I was at Juilliard and I didn't have a stereo in my room that I was renting in New York, and I had to get from 121st Street down to Lincoln Center, ride the bus for 45 minutes to get their sign out, just because they couldn't be taken out. So for my listening for everything, it would take three and a half hours to listen to half an hour mm. of any great recording at that that point. And now kids just pick up their phone to do it. 
but I find one of the challenges today is that young students are involved in so many activities, particularly music students, because they're so talented in so many areas that they are time constrained themselves. Of, and I would love for them to have more time to focus on just music, but they are, they are advantaged young people who have the ability to be educated in many different forms. Mm. And um, they're so busy with their AP this and everything else that they're at that point. So getting them right. to listen is not their priority. They're just glad to get to the music to be able to play it themselves if they can. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't found a great way other than demanding it. And I don't think that's particularly inspirational for them to say you were going to listen to so-and-so and these three different and tell me they're, they're different concepts. Hopefully they get to hear one that they loved and then it will snowball inspire, for yeah, them. That, that's mm -hmm. my, yeah. my own personal challenge to find the right one that I think will trigger that particular motivation on their part. And if you come up with a better way, please let me know. Oh, that's why I'm asking. I'm, I'm in search of, right? <laughs> I mean, this is like the big, the big, I, I don't even care what mouthpiece I play anymore. I'm more concerned with <laughs> with the answer to this question. It's interesting. I, I had a, um, I was working with one of my DMA students today uh, who was who was playing a, a very, very nice uh, section of a very nice piece, which is quite famous. And, and, uh, and I, and, and I, uh, and I said, well, why are you doing this, this way? It needs to have a little bit more shape and it needs to have everything going to the next thing, to the next thing, next thing. And it didn't connect. So I grabbed my phone and I pulled up a performance of Doc Schitz are doing it. And I put it on next to the microphone. I said, here you go. <laughs> and after 45 seconds of that, then I said, okay, what did you derive from that? And we had a discussion. Okay. And, and it was about shape and content. And, and I think the idea of, of research is still very difficult for our students. Um, they, the, the internet has given us everything and they're still busy playing games on it. Guilty. <laughs> I, I agree, but, but you also use it for research. And, of course, of course. and yeah, and, and the, the, the students haven't quite gotten the connection between this incredible, unli literally unlimited information source mm -hmm. that they can actually go to. And so my little message was okay, here it is on my phone. Boom. Look how easy that was. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. Oh, sorry. No, please uh, continue. No, no, I was done. <laughs> Fine, I'll go. So, okay. <laughs> one, one of the, um, every everything that you've you mentioned before, Larry, in the very beginning is you talked about modeling, right, and, and modeling a certain sound and and, and all that, and then uh, dad, mom, everything that, that you were saying, like one of the things that, that that I've run into outside of music 
in voiceover was that I, I realized applies directly to music and teaching was knowing what to listen for. Right. So it's one of those things. If, if, if what I found, at least if I if I tell a student uh, to go listen to you know these particular recordings, whether it happens or not, I'm always curious to find out what they're actually hearing when they listen. Right. Is it are they looking at the page and saying that's how that note goes? That's how this series of notes goes. Right. Um, or are they hearing the texture? Are they hearing the shape? Are they hearing the underlying rhythm? Are they hearing the the, the harmonic movement? Right. Stuff like that. Um, so what, what I found to be really, really useful um, in, and it, just in my own education, and it's like I've tried it out <laughs> with with students and, and even in, in group settings, it seems to, to to have some kind of an impact of starting to uncover what to listen for, saying, can you hear what this person is doing here in regards to shape? Can you hear volume? Start with very simple things. Right. And then grow from there. Um, and and what I've what I found that just having to do that for just, you know, learning the craft of, of voiceover. Like I didn't hear anything. I wasn't used to listening to speech in a pitch pattern per se singing. Sure. <laughs> but for whatever reason, it took me literally a few years to, to figure out it's like, Oh, <laughs> the people do speak in, in with pitch levels. <laughs> and so in, in, to me, it was a matter of connecting music to another thing. It was like, they're pretty much the same in, in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, that, that directed, that directed, um, uh, listening to that of, of saying like, okay, I can't hear it. Let me see what, what I can latch on to. Um, and, and that's, that's been a, a really interesting thing for, you know, once that ties into other things that we do, and especially in performance, when we start to, to start to hear other things that we, we didn't expect to before, whether they're right or wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking about, uh, I certainly didn't know anything. Uh, and when I started playing trumpet in seventh grade, I, I didn't know that much more in high school, uh, college, which was the best 17 years of my life, you know, I didn't necessarily, uh, but what I'm getting at is, you know, I want so badly for my, my undergrad students to learn in those four years with me, what it's taken me, you know, 40, 40 plus years of playing. Right. I think that's kind of what we all want to do, right? It's like, you don't need to take this 40-year journey. You can do it here in four years. And I think what I'm realizing is, no, right, we can plant the seed. We might not see the fruit of that, right? And we may never. But the hope is that they will at some point, you know, have that that same aha moment, right? Uh, or, or Yeah, and I realized, too, there are certain times in my life where I wasn't ready to yeah. learn whatever was being put in front of me. Uh, that's that's a hard thing to admit. No, it's, <laughs> it's like it is. We're all there. And I think the um, the point of realizing as a teacher what it is that that particular student needs that I can give them at that time be there insufficient in reading music or letting it out. As someone in a music store the other day said to me, this is a person that has their inside out. Their music is all inside, but they can't get it out. Mm. So my job is to find the key for them to unleash 
whatever it is that is going to help them create the beautiful music that they're really studying to do. But finding that key, it can't necessarily be what worked for me. Right. Then. It has to be, I have to expedite their process. So yeah, I, I've, really respect these teachers who can work in group settings and pick out this, this, this individuals. I don't think I'm that talented in that, that way. I need to feel the, the inner person of the individual to find out the key. Mm -hmm. And isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I realize I don't click with every student, yep. right? I, I I might not be the best person uh, to teach them, yeah, I, which is another hard thing to admit. Yeah, we all have some of that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that has helped me along the way is, is, is the continual study of learning how the student learns. If I can get on that track, and that's very much what Avis is into, mm -hmm. if I can get on that track, and with trumpet playing, it's really, really critically important because, again, anybody can sound ugly on a trumpet. Mm -hmm. Anybody, literally. <laughs> and 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 the, once we can get them to actually understand, as Aaron was saying, what to listen for and how to listen for it and connect that, you're, then we're learning how they learn and we can inspire them to kind of glom a little bit of that from each of us and our skills and then go listening for those attributes in other players. Uh, I like, for example, re more recently, than this last year especially, uh, because, because of the internet uh, and, and teaching everything remotely, I, I have really done a bunch of I play, you play with the students. Mm -hmm. A bunch more than more than ever before, mm. uh, and and uh, basically, you know, dissecting musical line, dissecting musical phrase, understanding shape, understanding uh, direction, all of those things, and in an I play you play setting, and I ask them specifically, okay, what did I do that you didn't do? Sometimes you get an answer, sometimes you get silent. <laughs> Well, you know, that could kind of go back to what Aaron was talking about is, you know, you don't know what they're hearing necessarily. Are, are they really hearing that musical line? Are they hearing a certain timbre or, or do they even know how to define timbre, right? Or do they, are they listening to articulation or are they uh, kind of, uh, I want to say uh, deaf, but you know what I mean? They're just, yeah, they're, yeah. they don't know how to yet to interpret. Exactly. And, and so that's, that's the challenge that, that we're facing uh, all of us when we're dealing with uh, with the, the educational format. And it's that's the beauty of the education. I mean, as, as the, the interesting thing about education that I've been able to kind of wrap my head around is that as a performer, you have a finite life. As an educator, you have an infinite life. You teach students hang on a second do you hear anything on your end yeah it was it was it pretty noisy now. now it's okay nope it's like a frequency cutting in yeah 
Okay, that is really strange. Cool. <laughs> cool. Someone's taking invitation. We're gonna, gonna. Ha uh, okay, that's the first time that's happened. Uh, it's kind of like uh, CB. You know, I remember CB cutting into uh, AM radio sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I am more excited about learning and teaching now that I've ever been in my life. You know, uh, Suzuki has helped with that, but I think. The, the more I the more I teach, the more excited I get about, you know, improving my own playing. And it, would you guys all agree with with that? Yes. That you that it all. It's just kind of uh, the site. It's not a vicious cycle, but it, it's it's it feeds off. Right? Yeah. 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 You know, one one of the one of the one one more thing I, I forgot to say earlier and I'd, I'd like to just uh, jump in there like part of what we have in common here and everybody listening is that, that we that we love what we do right mm -hmm. <laughs> we or we're at least inspired by it in, in a positive way and we want to do better you know like even even when we have a great day of teaching and a great day of performing we still want to uh, there's still that pursuit of wanting to do and improve and not do better in a negative way but like you say like i i want to improve this i want to find a more streamlined way to do this right and sometimes not everybody's on that same train, right? And so I think we're also operating under the under the assumption that that, that everybody is sometimes, and sometimes they're not. So being that that force, sometimes it, it's not even about music. It's just being able to communicate in in, in such a way that puts somebody else at at, at ease and uh, allows them to say like, okay, I didn't realize that I wasn't trusting for whatever reason, you know, for example, and say, okay, then now that we've broken down that figurative fourth wall and, and, and mm -hmm. said that, hey, you know, we can communicate now. Um, let's talk about this music. Mm -hmm. Let's let, let's get excited about, about something for whatever reason. Let's geek out over trumpet music. <laughs> it's interesting the way you just said that. I had never thought about there being a fourth wall and a lesson, mm -hmm. you know, in that, in that teacher-student exchange relationship. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's I, part of the part of the challenge of having grades in an, in an academic institution, too, right? And I'm not mm -hmm. saying I have a better idea. <laughs> I don't have any solution to that, but I think you know, there when 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 we're left to like the uh, most ideal situation would be simply a student comes to you and they they desperately want to learn. Like I have to learn. I have a burning desire to learn <laughs> the trumpet, and I want teach me sensei, right? Um, and it's like. Perfect. This is a great relationship already. <laughs> but when other things are involved, such as grades, such as uh, tuition, such as things like that, then that that has the potential to cloud it, right? Because mm -hmm. we we have to. It, it has to be under a certain guideline, right? And one and equally challenging on the on the flip side, when there are no guidelines, that's equally challenging, right? So finding also finding that that way, uh, we as as educators have have a, a, a wonderful responsibility and and, and a um, quite a challenge when we treat it as such, in mm -hmm. in a positive way because we also need to know ourselves. You know, we we know ourselves as people and musicians of of you know how to do that, how to best articulate it, how to best play it and communicate that. Mm -hmm. Um. All I want to do is keep learning. 
you know, and, and it's like, I keep seeking out, uh, doc, you know, I, I talked to doc a couple of months ago and he, first thing he said was Larry, how's your chops? And I said, doc, they're great. How are yours? He goes, well, not too bad. You know, I haven't played yet today, but he goes, I just started this new routine. You ever hear a Tebow? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if Doc Severinsen at almost 94 years of age is still looking to do something new and keep himself, you know, what, what excuse does anybody else have? That's right. It. You just, it's a constant search for, uh, for, and it can be a better mouthpiece, right? But it, it it's that constant search to, for growing. And oh, what have I heard last week? Uh, when you stop growing, you start to decay. Hmm. Mm. Right. I think, oh yeah, that's, that's a great way to think about that. But yeah, um, guys, I could, I could geek out on this. Uh, we've been going a little bit over. I was only planning on an hour. I hope, I hope we're okay. Uh, but um, let's, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I want to ask, uh, let, let me do this before, before we go in, let me get another plug in here for Chop Saber, of course, uh, generously sponsoring. Uh, yeah, that's your cue. That's my cue as well. Chop Saber. Oh man, that really does feel good. Uh, Chop Saver, the natural, organic, herbal, or herbal lip care product created by professional trumpet player Dan Gosling, created especially for the unique lip care needs of wind, brass, and keyboard musicians. Nothing soothes, heals, and protects sore, tired, chapped lips like Chop Saver. And of course, uh, if you let me throw this code back up here while we're here. Uh, Chop Saber, 20% off your next order at chopsaber.com. Use the coupon code HFL, which is here from Legends or here from Larry or higher, faster, louder, however you want to think about that. Um, and I, I have a shipment coming. This is true, a shipment coming. Uh, I think it's supposed to be delivered tomorrow. So uh, I bought my own. Uh, let's get things back here. All right. Okay. So there's a plug. Thank you, Dan and, and Chop Saver. Yeah. Uh, it is a you, it is a terrific product. It is great product. Um, and you know, there's another. Uh, I've wanted so badly to see him on Shark Tank, right? <laughs> I wanted to see him, you know, get get one of these yeah. multi million dollar people behind him. But uh, man, there's the testimonial for uh, working hard, Dan Gosling, right there, right? Yes. Um, so, uh, guys. It's, I always think this is this has been the best lesson I've ever had. You know, this this time I, I always feel like this is uh, just for me, right? Everything we've just done, I've learned so much, and and uh, I have. And the fun part is uh, it's not over because when I go back to to listen and edit, right, I'll think oh, I missed that the first time. That was brilliant, right? There's so many great great things in here. Um, thank you all for sharing. Thank you. I, Thank you, Larry. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm curious, Avis, I want to ask this question. Who's your favorite? Is it Glenn Gould? Is it, I mean, I don't know. I'm just pulling that name out. Of, who's, who is it that inspires you? You know, it's very interesting. Lately, I've been going through a lot of memories and one of the things that's been inspiring me lately is when I first went to New York, my teacher had said to me, and this was the night before school started. And at the time, I didn't realize what an incredibly generous offer this was in his part. But he said, 
I can't go tonight to hear Horowitz at Carnegie Hall. Would you like my ticket? And at that point, I had just gotten into the city. Now, this is a little girl from Iowa, right? I just got into the city. I didn't know how to get, literally, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yeah. <laughs> Practice. But I found a way to get down there. And it was Horowitz playing this unbelievable concert. I'd never heard anything like it. But his encore piece was playing Traumerai. Oh. This Is that Schubert? Schumann. Schumann. And this gorgeous lyric, simple piece. And I, to this day, am still hearing it in mm. my head. Mm. And I, it just... <clears throat> So I love almost everybody that I'm listening to at the time because I admire everybody's technique. Mm -hmm. I admire their musicianship and I don't think, I mean, criticizing people when they are gods in their own way. I mean, I, how can you not admire everyone? Mm -hmm. But that particular performance really changed my life. Wow. And what I'm hearing that many years later when I go to sleep at night and dream. <laughs> so, And it was live. It wasn't going down, uh, taking the 45-minute the trip by bus to check out a record, right? This was this it, was in person. Was live, you know, yeah. finding a bus that would go near there. And so, yeah, that was an amazing experience in wow. life. And as I say, I didn't appreciate it it enough or what he was giving me at that time, because I'm sure he would have loved to have gone to that concert himself. Maybe he did have something else to do. I don't know. Well, let me wrap up by, by telling you what I appreciate. What I appreciate, Ronnie, and, and follow me on this, um, is that you didn't win the LA Phil job because you may not have gone to New York. And if you hadn't gone to New York, you wouldn't have met Avis. <laughs> right. So I appreciate right. both of those things. Right. And if you hadn't met Avis, I wouldn't be talking to Aaron here. Right. <laughs> at the bottom of this of my screen. You know, so and of course, I'm grateful for uh, all the, the uh, Ronnie, I've told you this before. Grateful that all you and Canadian brass have provided for trumpet players, for musicians. But even since then, I think it's it's a greater contribution what you've done since then and continue to do. So thanks for continue to teach and play and inspire. Aaron, same to you. I, I just think uh, you're, you're a chip off the old block, uh, you know, or, or an apple that didn't fall at, from the tree very far at all. Um, and thanks Thank for all that you're, you've been contributing. Avis, um, I can't wait to hear you play again. It's just, Thanks. it's, it's beautiful. And uh, I appreciate all, everything that you've shared tonight too. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, sharing a little bit of love right there. So we're going to wrap up uh, and don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll wrap up and then uh, stick on the line, as it were, for just a couple of seconds. But let me just throw this out there. Uh, thanks to my guests, the ROM Trio, uh, Ronnie, Avis, and Aaron. And uh, the next Live With is actually just around the corner. That's the 28th of March. That's this coming Sunday, 3 p.m., not 8 p.m., but 3 p.m. And my guest is going to be Matilda Lloyd, a brilliant 
uh, international soloist. She's uh, from England. And if you don't know anything about her, check her out uh, on YouTube before we get to that interview. But that's going to be a lot of fun. She's just a terrific, terrific young artist. Um, and let's see, again, thanks to Chop Saver for sponsoring this. Uh, and let's see, anything else? Oh, I'm going to throw one other thing in here just to make sure I get this in here. But um, I've got this new shirt, um, this new, right, the World <laughs> Trumpet Force. And I know, I know that's Vintelabis uh, uh, Magis, which uh, is, it translates as uh, push harder. <laughs> Okay, so I, I know that might not be uh, the funniest thing, but it's funny to me. So I think it's hilarious. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll have to get you guys. I don't know if you're wear t-shirts, but I'll have to get you guys. Uh, I wear t-shirts all the time. I love well, I'm, we're gonna have to. Uh, Larry, have take, to take my money. The mail. Take my yeah. money. I want one. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk. So okay, we're gonna wrap up there again. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm gonna sign off. So hang Thank on you. here. Thank you, Larry. You're welcome. Thank you. Larry. And...